You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Please stand for the reading of God's Word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with the cry of command, with the archangel's call, and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The word of the Lord. You can be seated. Can we talk? My heart continues to be wrung out. My head is experiencing whiplash. And we are just growing tired. Tired of what we're having to endure by being cooped up. Tired of what we're seeing and frustrated by what we see in the, in the national spotlight. We are wearing down as we continue to wait for things to come back to some sense of normal. As it feels like the world is ending and we're experiencing it. As we look at the distractions that are in the public square, just think about what we've been enduring in the last week. We have watched as people have died under arrest at the hands of police. We've watched as protesters have peacefully and sometimes gregariously expressed their views. We've watched as looters have broken in and stolen and burned. And, oh yeah, COVID-19. Now that's still a thing. That's still going on as we deal with what it is to fight a virus. In fact, we've crossed the threshold of 110,000 people who've died. That's more than the Vietnam War, more than the Korean War U.S. casualties, more than the Iraq War U.S. casualties, and the Afghanistan casualties combined. And I know there are many other numbers we could add in there. The invisible deaths of babies that are lost and of those who die of other causes. But COVID is right in front of our faces. As our conversation is about race and police brutality, we are just filled with all kinds of questions. As we're commanded to open up businesses, to open up churches, we're confused to watch photo opportunities of standing in front of a church that's boarded up, holding up a Bible in front of a church that's still closed to COVID-19, a church burned partially, because of protesters and rioters. What are we supposed to do with all of this? So many questions. I I don't know what your burning questions are, but we all have these burning questions, and maybe it is, when is this going to stop? When can we just go back to things as normal? 
Why can't we just settle back into a life where we get along with each other? Who can we trust? Whose words can we trust? Whose actions can we trust? Or maybe you're sharing this question that we've been asking for the last eight weeks. What now? What now kind of captures the whiplash that we've all been feeling over this time? Well, what I want us to do today is to provide for you a question. A question that will help you know how to respond. Sometimes we don't know how to respond to what's out there, to things that we can't control, to people that are in high positions, but we can control our own response. And so I want us to look at a question that I'll give you to help interpret your own actions, to help you know how to function in this world. Now we have lots of questions that we ask. Sometimes they're really simple, where we call a business and say, now when are you open? Or where are you located? Sometimes there are questions that even new believers ask, where they want to know, now why is it that you do that? Would you please explain why your leaders have this practice? And where is it that Christians gather? You know, all kinds of questions that new believers have. Well, as we've been listening and looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonican Greeks, he has been writing to these new believers. And we get something of their question, something that they want to know. Now, their question may not be your question. It may be a little different. But it's still something that I think we can learn from. These new believers were expecting Jesus to return. They were watching for Jesus' return. They were waiting for his immediate return. And it wasn't so immediate. It had been five years, ten years. It had been several decades, and they were still waiting. Well, these new believers that Paul had converted are wanting to know how they might get an answer to a particular question. You see, Paul converted several folks, and some of them have died. Even in the short span of time, from whenever Paul was there to when he'd left, there were believers that had died. Maybe they had been executed. Maybe they'd suffered casualties from persecution. Maybe they just died of natural causes. And these believers were concerned what happens if a believer dies before Jesus comes back? Does that mean they've missed out? Does that mean they've lost something? Now, it's a pretty good question. Because even in Jesus' own teaching, you might remember him saying that you will not taste death until you see the kingdom of God come with power. A teaching that shows up in Matthew, and shows up in Mark, and in Luke, and even in John, the, uh, uh, the other gospel. As Jesus talks about uh, the kind of death that might come, if you keep God's word, if you keep Jesus' word, you won't taste death. So there's all this tasting of death, and Paul gives them the answer. He answers their question pretty straightforwardly. In verse 14, we find that the answer is no. No. If they've died, they're not going to miss out because God is going to bring the dead to be with him. Now, Paul does give kind of a cinematic movie-type answer, complete with the trumpet of the Lord blowing, of clouds rolling out, and of archangels coming and calling to people. So we get this elaborate uh, return of Jesus that is a part of the answer as well. But the simple answer is, no. If they've died, they're going to be with God. Now, does that help you? Does that help answer your questions? I know we don't like to talk about death, but... This may not hit you with your questions. Well, what I want us to notice is that the, 
there's a basis, a reason for Paul's answer to them. And that basis helps us get an answer for our questions. You see, whenever Paul answers them, whenever he provides this answer to their question about what happens to believers, they're comforted because they know that those who've died in Christ are going to be with God. And the answer is pretty straightforward. It takes some work, it takes some effort on our part, but since Jesus lived and died and was raised again, those believers who are attached to Jesus can be certain that they too will be raised to life again. Now, again, for us, this might be difficult. It's hard to connect the dots between our unanswered questions, the things that we wrestle with right now, and this particular teaching. But every good teacher knows that sometimes a student has to wrestle a little bit, has to work to get the answer. And it's in that wrestling and in that striving, that effort that's put forth, that they actually value the answer. Well, still, I think we might have missed what's going to help us. It's still in verse 14. In fact, let's look in verse 13 as well. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died so that you may not grieve as those without hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. Now that simple answer that God's bringing with him those who have died is the one we focus in on, the black and white answer. But look at the why. Because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Ah, we're getting at something of a key interpretation for life, all of life. A way that you can decipher and make sense of your life. Now, whenever we hear this about the resurrection, it's kind of a yawner for us. As Christianity has progressed for 2,000 years, we know that the dead are going to be with Jesus. But if we look at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this is something that can change the way we work. It can change the way we parent. It can change the way that we use our money, the way that we go online. It can change the way that we even spend our time. You know what I find really odd about right now and the situation that we find ourselves in the world? is that in so many ways, if you and I were to just sit down, or if maybe you were to sit down with someone that you disagree with very strongly, if we were to sit down together, there's a lot that we might agree about. In fact, I don't think it's all that complicated. Now, I know that sounds strange, that all the stuff we're going about, all the anger that we see, that it's not really all that complicated. Well, bear with me, just think about this. First, is it really difficult to imagine that we don't want people to die while they're being arrested. That we don't expect a policeman to kill someone while they're being arrested. Or for other policemen to stand by and watch and maybe say something but not stop. No. I mean, we don't want that to happen to us. We don't want that to happen to anyone. That is pretty obvious. Well, what about peaceful protesting? Are we okay with people who might have a voice that's not been heard, or maybe even a view that's not widely represented, or that's been overlooked, to be able to articulate that, to be able to share that view in the public square as we honor differences of opinion. While we know we may not come out on the same page, 
But hearing a different opinion allows us to shape policy, allows us to shape where we're going and take into consideration more people. You see, no, we, we would want to see that happen, right? We would want peaceful protesting. Third, is it difficult to imagine that we don't want looting and we don't want stealing or damaging people's homes or businesses or property? Is that really, by any thoughtful person, something that we want to happen? No. We want to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. Now, it might seem simplistic for me to say it in these terms, right? It might seem a bit reductionistic, and I grant you that. You know, uh, slavery and systemic racism has had a long history in the United States. It goes back 400 years. You know, it's, it's very hard. It's not easy to sort out. The abuse of power is not something that's confined to one person or, or one country or even one millennium. This is something we've wrestled with from the beginning of time. Even free speech, knowing what to say, and when you've gone too far, even that is difficult. And so I don't want to make it very simple, but isn't it amazing that if we were to just take off our political jerseys, if we were to step away from division, step away from hate, step away from very simplistic labels or dismissing of other views, isn't seemingly obvious that there would be so much that we would agree upon, even though we might have to work hard to flesh out the details. We have common ground. And I'm growing weary of those that are prompted to promote division, who are motivated just simply to label. I'm growing weary of hate being the leading force of our conversation, or that differences of opinion should be squelched, or silenced or shut down. And I feel like it's time for us to have a new leader. No, 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 don't jump ahead of me. I'm not talking about a new government leader or a new leader of business or a new leader of church. There may be a time and a place for those type leadership changes. I'm talking to us Christians to have a change of perspective where we have a new leader maybe more specifically, where we're reminded of who our leader is. Our leader is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our leader. That's above country. That's above family. That is even above myself. We need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is our primary leader. To focus in on who Jesus is as a leader takes us deeper. It takes us into terrain that sometimes we forget about. Namely, that we're followers. That we're following Jesus. That our opinion or our view or our perspective is not at the front of the line. We are following behind Jesus. We are not at the front. We're followers. In fact, to take Jesus on as a leader is not just to identify him as the leader and us as followers, but it's, take, it's to take on his very way of life. Jesus came and he preached that God was available, that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, was available to everyone. People that want to enter under God's rule and enter into relationship with God can do so, into this life of love with God. That is pretty amazing where we begin to love for the good of another person. 
Well, it goes further than that. To take Jesus on the, as a leader is to take on the manner of his leadership. Now, perhaps you'll remember, before Jesus even began his ministry, he had to make some choices about what kind of a leader he was going to be. It's kind of interesting to me to think about God saying, all right, what kind of leader should I be? A, a dictator? A buddy? A collaborative leader? What, what would it look like for God to be a leader? Well, as Jesus is put through the ringer and tested by the powers of evil, manifested by the, the tempter in the desert, he's tempted to do three things. To turn stones into bread. He's tempted to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. And he's tempted to bow down to the powers of evil. Bow down to the powers of this age. Now, if you look at those things, Jesus is being tempted to satisfy people, to fill their bellies, to provide what they want. Jesus, in jumping from the temple, is tempted to provide some kind of a magic sign where they can look at him and know, oh wow, he must be someone special. He jumped off the top of the temple and didn't harm himself. He's even being tempted as a leader to use world powers, to become king of the universe, the supreme emperor, the one who will rule all. These three things of being tempted to be pleasing or to use magic or to use power were choices that Jesus had and he steps away from them. He did not choose to be a king on a throne commanding attention or dictating attention. He did not choose to squelch alternate views. He didn't choose to eliminate all evil. It still was present and around him and active. If you look at this choice that Jesus makes, he chooses to come and be with us. He chooses fishermen. He chooses to leave a lot of this in our hands and provide for us this message of love. In fact, his message was so threatening that the political powers and the religious powers of his day wanted to kill him. And what does Jesus do as a leader? Well, he surrenders himself. He lets them cuff him. He lets them lead him away in abuse. He lets them dress him up like a king and ridicule him, make him carry his own death instrument. He lets them hang him up like a billboard a on a cross, hanging between heaven and earth as a sign that this is the king of the Jews. Killing Jesus was the most politically perfect answer to the problem. Because Jews could say, yep, fake Messiah. The Rome, Romans could say, well, we've squelched another rebellion. Everything's good. And the non-Jews could say, yep, his teaching was interesting, but not good enough for us. It was a politically perfect answer. But here, Jesus shows us what the power of love looks like where he lays down his authority for others. Well, that gets me to our question. I told you that I'd provide you a question, a way to think about your own response to these things, a way to think about how you might live as a Christian. And this is specific to Christians. You see, when we see the, matter, the manner of Jesus' life, the way that he lived in love, when we see his brutal death and his glorious resurrection, those things provide for us an interpretive lens, a key. And here's the question. 
if God acts like this, how am I supposed to act? That's our interpretive lens. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection help us to ask this question. If God acts like this, how am I supposed to act? So let's play this out. Let's play this out in our job. It's a very difficult time right now. More than 30 million people have lost their jobs. We're reaching 20% unemployment right now. And our job is how we take care of ourselves, how we provide for ourselves, how we protect for our family. It's something of our ability to provide. Well, the fact that Jesus lived and died and resurrected teaches us something. That our lives as Christians are in God's hands. Our ability to provide or our ability to look for work, that's in God's hands. As we get asked to leave a job or are promoted in a job, we must remember that it is God who provides this for us. Our security, whether financial or the ability to provide, does not come from that job. Whether we have it or we don't, it comes from God. We'll play this out in another area. A lot of us right now feel alone. It's really hard to track all of the mental health issues that are resulting as a, as a result of being locked up, as a result of being staying at home. In fact, I'm even thinking that cabin fever, even among sane people, is affecting us in ways that we, we just can't know. It's difficult to know how this teaches us that maybe we're a little bit more edgy. We're not as reasonable. We're not as kind. We're not as forgiving of one another. So how does the fact that Jesus lived and died and rose again teach us about how we live life alone? Jesus knows very much what it's like to be alone, to be abandoned by his closest followers, to be abandoned by all humanity, not just politically powers and not just religious powers, but all of humanity. Well, what about something like George Floyd's death? How does Jesus' life, death, and resurrection speak to us about George Floyd? Jesus died alone. He died at the hands of an oppressive state and of a very jealous religious group. Jesus is with George Floyd on the curb. He is with us in our suffering, with us in our death. He knows what it is to suffer and die. We can and we must make changes in how police act and how our racist practices can harm the well-being of so many good people. Things must change. And I think we've learned from COVID-19 by cooperating and working together that we can tackle even difficult problems when we do it together. Racism and police brutality can fall into that list. But what about death in general? How does Jesus' life and death and resurrection fit there? Well, not only does God understand, but God grieves the separation of death. He knows that this was not a part of his plan for us to choose to be like God and to take on our own death. In fact, the life that God gives is not one that he wants death to have a hold on. Here in the latter part of 1 Thessalonians, 
in chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says an interesting thing, that whether we live or die, or whether we are awake or asleep, we live with Christ. So whatever our status is, even in death, we are living with Christ. Okay, well, those are some examples of how we can think about if this is how God acts, how am I supposed to act? Let's take it one step further. Let's give ourselves a little test, a little filter. As we think about something that we might do, an action that we might take, a comment that we might make, or something that we want to do online, either to share with people or to post or write, what if we were to do this? Since Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected, is what I'm about to do going to tear people down or build them up? Am I going to be drawing out the negative with no answer for what the positive looks like? How does Jesus' action on the cross and being raised victorious affect the way I treat another human being? Even someone that I disagree with strongly, am I recognizing that they are a child of God who might have insight for me that I can't see because I might be too hard-headed? to provide insight for living in the world today. We've covered a lot of ground over these last eight weeks. Last week, of learning to love more and more. To let our love expand to more and more people. Understanding that freedom is not about me, it's about you. We looked at how desire is not our identification. It's not the way that we choose to define who we are. We're defined by controlling those desires and giving those desires to God. Weeks ago, we learned that people are not the enemy. It's easy to make them the enemy, but they're not. People are those that we can work with. And we live whenever we stand with and for others. More weeks back, we talked about being aligned in the kingdom of God, of living with God in alignment with Him. We talked about sharing our very lives and our breath with one another, being anchored in those big realities and understanding that God reigns. And that reign of God is both our method and our message. And when we began on the top of the roof, we talked about Christ being risen and that that truth is one that can spread to the world. Well, the question that I leave you with, this key way that you can interpret your life is if God acts like he did in Jesus, how am I supposed to act with my life? Will I pursue the way of love? Let's pray. God, we need you. We need you now more than ever because we are not good enough leaders. We need you to be our leader. Help us to be better followers Help us to seek you and to, through our lives, manifest and show and be vocal in expressing love. We thank you for the life that we have in Jesus. And it's through him that we live and pray. Amen.